the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Well, hello and welcome to the Farm Advisory Service podcast. I'm Kerry Ritchie and I'm a specialist consultant part of the specialist food and drink team at SAC Consulting and I'm joined today uh, by my colleague Paul Mayfield, another specialist consultant from the food and drink team. Paul and I are going to both host today's podcast and in this podcast uh, we're going to explore the subject of biodiversity and natural capital, what these terms mean, why they're important and the opportunities they may provide for rural businesses. So if you're interested in building biodiversity into your enterprise to maximise opportunities, or if you're keen to develop a business or a brand based on supporting biodiversity and making the most of your natural capital, then stay tuned. Our guest today is Davy McCracken, Professor of Agricultural Ecology at SIUC. Welcome, Davy. Perhaps you could just say a few words about your background and your key areas of work. Yes, hi Kerry and Paul, happy to be here. Um, so I head up, um, we have a Hill and Mountain Research Centre based at Kirkton and Octotire Farms, that's a 2,200 hectare research and demonstration farm near Cree and Larrach. So I'm the head of the centre based there, have been since um, 2013. And I'm also head of a wider department of integrated land management within which the centre sits. Good, thanks, Davy. Well, um, we've got a number of questions we're going to ask you, so I'll fire away. Um, there, there are several terms that describe the farming environment. Uh, so, can you explain what natural capital is and how it differs, or, or how it's uh, associated with the environmental goods and biodiversity? Yeah, no problem. I, I think it's easier if we start with the environmental goods or public goods um, and biodiversity side of things. That and natural capital are, are strongly interlinked. Um, but the term public goods has been around for, for much, much longer than natural capital. And that basically reflect, refers to the type of outputs or the outcomes that arise from any sort of land management that actually provide benefits not just to that land manager, but to wider society in, in general. Um, that's things like um, um, water quality or flood mitigation and um, carbon sequestration, whether that's happening through peatlands or through um, woodland creation and management, um, or as you mentioned at the start, um, um, biodiversity, the wide range of sort of wildlife um, and that, are, that can be associated with different farming systems. So those are the sort of um, the, the outputs. Um, and if you think of natural capital, it's, it's basically come from a, an accounting term. So if you think of the public goods as being the outgoings, then natural capital are, is basically a term referring to the stock. If you think of your bank account as being the natural capital, is what you what have you got in your bank account, and the public goods are what's going out of it. Um, um, and and natural capital is really. Uh, a, a, a phrase that's, that's strongly linked to public goods, strongly linked to biodiversity, which is all about um, how much of it do we have? How much capacity do we have to provide these public goods? Um, how has it been changing over the years? What condition is, is it in now? How likely, it, how likely is that natural capital to produce these type of public goods into the future? Um, and how much do we need in the future? Uh, and, and what does that all mean for land management practices, land management policies? So natural capital is basically the, the underpinning um, soil 
um, habitats, you know, water, air, these type of the, the, the broader areas from which the, 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 the public goods, these other wider benefits actually flow. That's, that's fascinating, actually, David, just thinking of things on almost like a different level. So I'm curious to if, if we can drill down, Pam, what does this actually mean for for farmers and and why is natural capital capital and the natural environment so important to a farmer's business? Yep. So, I mean, as I've said, the the, the, the public goods are, are are about these type of benefits that um, uh, are, are useful to wider society. And there's actually a misconception there by land managers or, or by many land managers. There's a misconception that those public goods are only important to wider society. But the point is that they're important to the land manager and wider society. Um, and so from a land manager's perspective, from a farmer's perspective, um, um, especially in the face of ongoing climate change, uh, addressing these public goods, addressing natural capital, managing natural capital more appropriately on their farms or on their crops, that actually will have, in the vast majority of cases, benefits to them because it actually improves the sustainability of their individual farms, their individual crops, and it improves the, the, the resilience um, of those farms and crops um, into the future. And and also, the second reason for why um, um, farmers and crofters should be p paying more attention to, to natural capital is, at the minute, most natural capital or even public goods are not well rewarded by the by wider society, by the market. Um, but we're moving towards a, a policy framework where um, ongoing climate change, uh, the ongoing biodiversity crisis means there's going to be much more of a, a recognition and by very nature reward to farmers and other land managers for having natural capital in a, 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 a good condition on their land. So it's, it's, so it's valuable to them to know what they've got, know how they're managing it, know what impacts their management is having on it for good, for bad or indifferent. So that they can then have, it's, it's just like a, they're, they're maintaining a stock um, and knowing whether they're maintaining it or whether they need to actually replenish it in, in some shape or form in order for it to be of more value, value to them in, in the future. And, and of course, if I, if I may add, I, mean, I, I suppose there's always a, there's potentially a danger of being too positive about natural capital. And, and it is, you can be positive about natural capital if you've got it and it's recognised you've got it and you get a reward for it. Of course, the converse to that is it's not just recognition and rewards that will drive policy in the future. It's recognition and regulation that could also drive, will also help drive policy in the future. So if you have got natural capital on your, on your land that is degraded and it's continuing to degrade because of manage, the type of management that you're applying, then at some point in the future, there may be a penalty um, applied against that as opposed to a reward for, for managing it well. Interesting. So does that mean that farmers and landowners are going to have to think differently uh, about their sort of natural assets and their business uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, where their, their potential income? So it's not just about what their outputs in terms of crops or animals. It, it's about outputs from other areas within their, their natural assets. 
And yes, and indeed, and and, and 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 the clue is in the way you phrase the question, as in terms of an asset, it's actually seeing those natural parts of the of the farm of the croft as an existing asset, as an as an asset that is just as important, in some cases maybe even more important than the than the agricultural production potential um, of their land. Um, and so, like any asset, it's in, it's increasingly important to know. But you've got it, um, and if it's something that's likely to be of value to you, to be able to nurture it, to manage it well, and capitalise on capitalise on it in some way in the future, if you're going to be able to release um, in some income in, in, in from having that particular asset in that particular in condition. The danger is with natural capital, with public goods, you know, is is, is it, it, all, it all sounds very esoteric. And certainly biodiversity. I mean, what's biodiversity? But actually, you know, it's when explaining these things to sort of farmers and land managers, it's better to bring it back to natural capital, the importance of managing your soil well. Biodiversity, well, actually, what we're meaning by that is birds like lapwing and curlew that have been in severe decline in Scotland for the last 26 years. What can they do on their land to actually help redress, stop that decline and, 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 and try and actually improve things for, for birds like that? So, you know, it's, it's just trying to bring it back to something reality that farmers and land managers can actually grasp themselves. I absolutely. And this is this is this is really interesting because what, what I kind of like to think about now is, you know, if we can think about the, the situation the world finds itself in, the, in at the moment, that the. the the, the predisposition to valuing what we have out there more. Um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit and you could maybe explain it about in practice for farmers, how can farmers, how can landowners, how can rural businesses create value from their natural capital? So whether that's using that, you know, using the fact that there is a greater biodiversity on their land, the fact that they've got a wonderful woodland setting and uh, with natural fantastic species i mean how can they use that to, to create value for their businesses so they start to see that more as an asset if you see what i'm saying yep so um, um whether it's soil whether it's integrating trees more in your land whether it's actually managing the margins of your fields more from um from a from a wildlife from a biodiversity perspective those are all types of natural capital that um, um exist on, on on many if not most farms um that that farmers and crofters can start to look at and and, and see well how can i make this work for myself as well as as well as be a benefit to the biodiversity if that's the aim or carbon sequestration if, if that's the aim uh, and so um, we're not quite there yet but certainly there's a move towards pay, make, making um, agricultural support payments um, in the future much more um, conditional on the delivery of those public goods. Now, things are happening differently across the UK. So in England, the direction of travel is that future agricultural support will be markedly changed, markedly different from now. It's going to be by 2027. I think the current projection is it will be solely based on delivering these type of public goods. So, so from any farmer and land manager's perspective in, in England, then it, it, it's certainly of value and use to them to be considering what they've currently got and can they improve it now so they're in a better position to capitalise on the fact that they will be paid for, for public good provision um, in the future. In Scotland, it's, it's slightly different at the moment. We're, we're, we're still in a position 
where um, there will continue to be, at least in the, sh in the, in the, in the, in the immediate term, um, um, direct payments um, to um, farmers, as, 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 as has been for, um, 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 for the last wee while. But nevertheless, it's still um, um, likely uh, that there'll be more conditions placed on receiving that direct payment. Um, and those conditions are likely to be more environmental. You know, it's not just um, the Cabinet Secretary for Agriculture or the Cabinet Secretary for the Environment. The whole of the Scottish Government um, is concerned about climate change and, and biodiversity declines and, 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 a, and a more joined up way of doing that. And so it's, it's highly likely that even here in Scotland, in order to continue receiving some level of public support, there will be some environmental conditions put upon that, and that will be, could be things like doing more for, 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 for diffuse pollution and water quality yourself in order to qualify for the, 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 the larger um, 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 agricultural support payments um, going forward. So, so there is a, a, a value in practice um, of individual farmers being aware of, 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 of what they've currently got and how it's currently being managed and whether that's good, bad or indifferent um, and thinking, and it's, and it's not, it's not in the far distant future. It's going to be, you know, within the space of, you know, um, single figure years, you know, between now and 2024, I would foresee um, um, not major change in Scotland, but changes will start to happen naturally in terms of what is going to be asked of farmers and how they're going to be supported. Yeah. Is there a danger that with the split systems that, that, that perhaps the Scottish farmers might fall behind what the English farmers are doing because the incentives are, are slightly different. Um, I'm not saying that's the case, uh, but I just wonder whether you know that that's possible, or is the argument that um, Scottish farmers got sort of a, a, an advantage in their natural capital over some of the English farms, particularly further south and in the sort of barley belts, etc. Um, yes, so um, that's always going to be the situation, no matter how any one um, um, outcome is sought to be achieved um, differently in, in, in different parts of, of the UK. Um, um, but uh, and, and there is a big concern at the moment um, post-Brexit with, well, what happens in the devolved nations of the UK um, in terms of um, support measures going forward? And will that advantage or disadvantage farmers in one, one area or, or another? Um, and I can understand why that um, um, discussion is ongoing. But nevertheless, we just need to look back to the system we've just left. So we've left the EU, we've left the common agricultural policy, but that common agricultural policy was an, was an uncommon agricultural policy. Not only were things being done differently in the UK than elsewhere um, in Europe, but also we were doing things differently um, between um, Scotland and England and Wales and Northern Ireland anyway. So Scotland maintained its less favoured area support um, 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 scheme. England got rid of um, less favoured area support decades ago, but England had a, a higher level stewardship approach, um, whereas within um, Scotland, we've had a relatively minimalistic agri-environment scheme. So there's always been checks and balances. There's always been differences that way. It just depends on how the how the market actually reacts to that. Interesting. And, and uh, are there some sort of specific examples of, of um, where farmers or land managers has, have really sort of 
built and further developed, invested in these natural assets, and they started to create enterprises on farm based around these assets. Um, so uh, certainly woodland and woodland creation and management would be, you know, the, the most obvious one. Um, and there have been quite a lot of um, work over the last few decades, you know, creating a sort of a, a, a woodland code um, to, to ensure that um, um, the, the, the management um, of, of, of woodlands and, of, and the way you can sell some of the timber from those woodlands conform to a, a common standard. Um, and then with regard to carbon sequestration and receiving payments for that carbon sequestration, then certainly uh, woodland and forestry is, is, is further ahead of the game in terms of um, being able to sort of capitalise on those type of carbon sequestration credits and, and get rewarded for that. And there's a lot of interest in uh, looking at other parts of a of an agricultural um, in, environment, uh, and what elements of those would be able to sort of um, um, be turned into a financial value in that sort of way. So woodlands are are, are there or are, are almost there. The next obvious one, and where a lot of attention has been put, is on peatlands, because there, you know there's, 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 there, there is a it, it does vary. But, you know, it's easier to actually um, um, assess, you know, the amount of carbon that's sequestered in, in, in a tree or a group of trees in a woodland. Um, um, and with a, a peatland, as long as a restoration, either it's restored or, or, or it's a, a healthy peatland, you know, as long as you know some basic metrics in terms of depth, et cetera, et cetera, you can get some level of what level of carbon is likely to be stored within that and some indication from how it's subsequently managed as to whether that storage is likely to be maintained and um, increasing slightly or, or whether it's degrading. Uh, and so that gives both an investor as well as a land manager some level of comfort that what's being paid for is being delivered. It's much more difficult when you move away from those big areas of known carbon sequestration, um, for example, to move into um, um, the area of um, carbon sequestration, for example, over in not peatland, but but the wide range of moorland or, or grasslands that, are, that occur in many livestock farms. Uh, and you can actually um, link changes in management practices, changes in habitat use on farms um, with actually helping with flood mitigation. But again, trying to trying to actually put a value on that mitigation at that particular point in t point geographically depends on what else is happening around there. Whereas if you've got 100 hectares of peatland in um if you've got 100 hectares of 10 meter deep peatland in Sutherland um, or the Southern Uplands, they'll generally be sequestering the same amount of carbon and holding the same amount of carbon. But flood mitigation on a farm in, in, in Dumfrieshire and a flood mitigation activity on a farm in, in, in West Argyle, the benefits arising from that will also depend on what's happening in the wider landscape. So it's a wee bit more difficult to come up with a hard and fast rule of thumb to, to come up with payments, or, or not to come up with payments, to come up with robust payments that, that, can, uh, that can be evidence-led. So. If I could just ask a little bit more depth there, are there examples of um, land land managed businesses that or businesses that manage land that that have sort of increased biodiversity and they've created interest from the public, so they've they've built um, a business around the fact that the the, the biodiversity is you know enhanced. It's uh, the 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 
the species that were in decline and now no longer in decline where that is. I mean, are there examples of businesses that are bringing, I guess, the public to see that the, the results of this good work or is that, you know, is that not happening yet? It is happening, but um, I am. Um, and, and so the main in instances where that will be happening is on designated nature reserves. Um, where it's so, so, so it, they may be relying on farming practices, um, and they may themselves feel that they're actually farmers. But compared to you know farming in the wider world, they wouldn't necessarily everybody else wouldn't necessarily see them as farming from a from a farm perspective. But then building in you know the the the, the biodiversity value into their in, in, into their. Um, uh, land management and income generation, uh, but that but that is happening on, on on more traditional conservation sites. The other examples that I can think of are not necessarily where the individual land manager has been solely responsible for improving the biodiversity, but has been able to take advantage of that biodiversity being improved. So the um, the, the obvious one to me, um, off the top of my head, is and um, we've we've had we've seen. Um, red kites been reintroduced to Scotland, so a small predatory or a scavenging bird more than a predatory bird. Um, and there's a number of businesses in both southern Scotland and, and central Scotland who, who farm businesses who have now been able to capitalise on the fact that red kites exist within the landscape um, and um, have built up um, a part of a, a diversification business, which is making more of a, a tourism sightseeing um, 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 opportunity out of that. Uh, um, by feeding, giving supplementary feed to the to the birds at a particular time of the day, knowing that they will they will attract you know you know twenty thirty fifty whoever number um, of red kites in that area to that particular location at that particular point in time, and bringing tourists 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 in, uh, or or general public I've been to a few of these sites so I wouldn't necessarily regard myself as a tourist in, in that situation, but bringing individuals in and and and, and charging a uh, in most cases, a relatively small fee for for doing that, but I mean, it's I mean, it's fantastic to actually see, and um, it, it, it develops more of an income generation potential. Whether they then go on to develop a a shop and a a, a cafe or a, um, a, a buy the red kite um, 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 mugs or, or whatever is is dependent on that individual business and how they would see it growing. Um, but I'm, 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 I must admit, I'm struggling at the minute, and I'm sure after somebody hears this, they'll phone me up irate. Uh, I'm struggling at the minute to think of a, an active, an active farming business who are really capitalising on the biodiversity management that they have done on their farm in a major way, in such a major way that it's the primary source of income, not just an, an, a welcome additional source of income. Yeah, no, okay. Mm. That, that's really interesting. And and uh, you can start to, when you're talking there about red kites, you can start to, to think about examples that you've seen on your travels and around the country, you know, perhaps out with Scotland, where people are now starting to, to capitalise on the, the increased public interest in, in, in nature and biodiversity. You alluded earlier, um, it sort of led me into this question anyway, uh, about... Um, being able to to, to measure uh, the, the natural capital or the the improvement in it to to, to perhaps gain payments in the future, but uh, you know how how will that be measured? Um, 
and and is it something the farmers will be able to do, or is it going to be imposed upon them? Is there going to be a sort of standard form that says if you've got you know one acre or one hectare of woodland is this, and therefore you just multiply it up and that type of thing? Uh, do we know yet? I know you're involved with policy. Has there been any any um, you know discussion about this? Well, well, certainly there's a lot of discussion about metrics and why metrics will be important, why why it's important to know not just what you've got, but f- f- whether you're maintaining it, enhancing it, or, or as I mentioned earlier, whether it's degrading, um, whether it's a private investor that's paying for that natural capital, um, or whether it's uh, public funds that's paying for that natural capital, there'll be a need to know that um, and what's being paid for is, is actually being delivered. Um, and there's a lot of yeah. um, thought and discussion um, going into how you can do that. There, there, there are lots of ways that it can be done, but if we're going to have a system where um, either private funds or public funds or a combination of both are, are rewarding land managers for that, then that um, condition of that natural capital needs to be um, assessed um, easily and on a relatively regular basis. You know, um, and I don't mean every month, yeah. but you know, at least on a on a on a two or a three year cycle, to be to be you know to be clear that the investor, you know, knows that it's 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 actually happening, uh, and many of the ways of assessing natural capital and its condition, um, um at the moment, um, um, may rely on you know quite laborious, time consuming. You know, um, um, information, detailed information gathering at the individual farm level, which may take, you know, mm-hmm. years to collect the information, assess the information, attempt, interpret the information. And that's not where we, we, we want to be. Um, so most of the, um, the thinking or a lot of the thinking on the metrics is what type of surrogates will be, uh, what could be employed. So you may be particularly interested in, I don't know, let's say water quality um, or carbon sequestration. Uh, but to get detailed, detailed figures on those can be time consuming and, and, and expensive. But it's what surrogates could be used that, that give you a, a, a good um, estimate of the condition um, of, 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 of the water quality or, or of the carbon sequestration. And, and a part of that would also need to entail um, accepting that any estimate is an estimate, it's an average or, or whatever it is. And there's always going to be some level of variation around that. So a lot of the discussion should be and is being not around what the actual, how do you get to that, that, that one figure? It's really around what limit of tolerance, what amount of variation around that figure are you going to accept that that is still being delivered? And that's where a lot of the a lot of the issues and, and, and the discussion in, are, are, are still ongoing. And unfortunately, it still is a work in progress. Had we um, um, had we been a bit further down the line on that, then these payments for public goods would be much broader, you know, already being applied. Um, we mentioned earlier it's targeting woodland and peatland first of all because those are not easy but easier ones to actually ones to actually deal with. Nevertheless, um, I think the tone of your question was asking, you know, how much um, when we get to assessing um, um, condition of, of 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 natural capital at an individual farm level, how much can an individual farmer do? How much will they have to be he or she have to be reliant on on others coming in to in, in to do that? At a at a very basic yeah. level, yeah. 
at a very basic level, it's feasible now for um, any farmer or crofter to get some feel for what 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 um, level of natural capital that they actually have on their farm, and that means stepping back and viewing their farm in a, di- in, a in a slightly different light. So not just focusing in on the the productive agricultural elements, but seeing seeing the farm in its entirety, what boundary features do they have, what areas of woodland do they have, what areas of moorland or peatland or or whatever do they actually have um, on the farm. So it's basically, um, if you think of it like a a broader habitat mapping uh, of, of a complete habitat basic habitat map of the farm, that can tell you a lot um, or an individual a lot about what they currently have and what potential they have to to maintain something or change something um, into the future. Um, and certainly um, here in Scotland, um, 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 it's, it's feasible for um, land managers to get some um, support and funding through the Farm Advisory Service to do an, um, what's called an integrated land management plan that looks at the business in a, in a, mm, in a, in a wider yes. sense. And it does cover a little bit of, of, of habit, basic habitat survey, but having done that integrated land management plan, an individual can choose if they so wish to then go on and get a much more detailed biodiversity plan, biodiversity assessment uh, done, um, again, through relatively generous support from the Farm Advisory Service, which would give them a and with the specialist um, help that, that comes with that, which gives them a, a good baseline, a good, a better knowledge of where their farm or where their croft currently sits in terms of its agriculture pr- production now and into the future, its, its wider natural capital um, 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 production and potential into the future. And that can then help inform them in terms of decision making. Uh, and it all comes down to um, um, what what an individual's aspiration is for the future. How much would they want their um, overall income stream to be based on um, agricultural products versus natural natural capital stroke public goods? It's, there is no one size fits all with regard to an individual's desire or aspirations as to what they want to achieve. But but certainly everybody, it's just, it's just like benchmarking in, in, in any other sort of business. Knowing what you've currently got, knowing yes. what condition it's in, and um, for the entirety of your farmer croft gives you a much firmer um, starting point within which to then start to have those thoughts, those discussions about what does it then mean I, would, I could do in the future if I if I chose to manage that part of the farm in this way, and what might be the trade-offs that come with that, and and allow them to then think through the different scenarios to see what then is then best for them, um, and one of those, um, um, obviously one of those important things that we need to think of is, um, what can I currently receive some funding for? And what might I receive some funding for in the future um, um, in terms of what we discussed earlier, that payments for public goods are not quite there yet in its entirety, but they are coming. I, I definitely do not see um, um, any scenario where we are not going to be putting much more value on environmental management in its wider sense um, on, on, on farms and crofts into the future and recognising and rewarding that into the future. Thanks. That, that's that's really interesting, and actually leads me on to my next question about is is this applicable to all farms? Um, you know, is it important to to all farmers and landowners? 
or as as you said earlier, uh, or as we discussed earlier, um, you know, some places have have a perhaps a, a, more, a bigger propensity of natural capital than others, and, and, and so that those that perhaps don't have as much uh, will ignore it completely. So you know, it, it, what what you seem to allude to was it's going to be a choice. Uh, it's not that it's it's going to be uh, haves and have nots. Yeah, like. it's, it, it's 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 certainly going to be a choice. Going back to your original question, is it going to be important to all farmers? Yes, you know, mm. uh, but the type of natural capital, the type of public goods and the type of biodiversity that any one individual farmer craft is able or likely to be able to produce will differ. It will differ between the uplands and the lowlands and it will differ between different farming systems and it will differ between individual farms within those farming systems or individual crofts within the crofting counties because each individual farm or croft yeah. currently is, at a dip, is, is likely to be at a different starting point from even the croft next door or the farm next door. Um, but, but certainly natural capital, public good provision, biodiversity provision, will be important to all of those um, um, as we go forward. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a case of, um, I'm asked this question um, 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 quite a bit, you know, the most obvious common factor, no matter where you are in the uplands or the lowlands or what type of farming system you're on, you know, um, from a farming perspective, from a crofting perspective, soil, soil management, organic matter in soil, that is a that that is a common. That's going to be held in common, no matter where you yeah. are. There'll be a value, even if it's only to the farm or the croft itself. There is a huge value in paying much more attention to having healthy, productive soil um, on your farm, particularly in your inby areas, which are the more productive parts of the farm. But nevertheless, no matter where you are. Um, I, I would be saying, and I have been saying to, to farmers and crofters, look at your soil and, and, and see what, what condition it is and how you can actually take steps to, to, to get that into a, a, health, a more healthier state or maintain it in a healthier state if it's already there. When you then step back um, and, 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 and from soil, then, and it's, uh, again, this is quite sweeping statements, um, um, but when you look at the existing stocks and whether you need to actually manage what you've got or manage, sorry, or reestablish something and then manage it, that does differ between uplands and lowlands, for example. You know, in, in, in lowland Scotland, as in, as in much of lowland UK and the, and the rest of Europe, we've lost a lot of our natural capital. We've lost a lot of our um, 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 biodiversity and, and associated sort of habitats. So in, in lowland areas or farming systems in lowland areas, whether it's dairy farming or arable farming, doing more for natural capital on your farm will be a combination of protecting and maintaining and managing better any remnants that you have, but also in tandem with seeing where on the farm can you re-establish field margins or 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 or, 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 or some um, a small woodland in the, in the corner of a field or a wetland or or, or whatever? In, in low ground systems, it's more about trying to put things back. And in and in upland areas, that's just as applicable for many in by parts of upland farms or or or, or crofts uh, because they similarly to lowland systems have become a bit simplified and lost some of the habitats. But in upland farms and, and crofting in general, it's much more about 
most of the natural capital still exists. It may be that the management has actually changed. Um, it may be that the management may be too intense in places. It may be in many cases, particularly over the last 10 years, that, that the farming management has, 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 has taken the foot um, or, um, um, off the accelerator and the management that is best to produce the, the public goods and, and the biodiversity has no longer been practiced. So it's, it's actually about getting the management of the existing natural capital, the existing public goods, maintaining it or, or, or re-establishing the management rather than re-establishing in the lowlands. It's re-establishing the, the, um, the habitats and then managing them appropriately. So it does, it does differ. And, and then no matter where you are, um, um, dairy farmers will have different opportunities than than um, um, arable farmers, even in the lowlands, in terms of what they could and what would be most relevant for them to put back and and, and manage um, in their system. Uh, and the uplands cover, yes. you know, seventy odd percent Scotland. So you you won't be surprised at what uh, what an upland farmer in the southern uplands might choose to do. That might be different from what. Um, I'm an upland farmer um, in Argyll and um, chooses to do or has the opportunity to do because geographical variation and differences in the landscape surrounding an individual farm or croft will also dictate what's what's feasible, but also what's relevant and appropriate um, to do. And that, that actually, uh, going back to what you said earlier, is going to make this quite complicated in the future um so you know for, for achieving the same goals they might or doing the same thing in different regions is going to have perhaps different outcomes so how do you get paid for that so I, I think at the moment well from my point of view there doesn't seem an obvious answer but it's something that's going to have to be thought about yeah certainly i mean it it, it, it does sound complex particularly when you start to when you start to actually try and allocate a a, 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 a reward, you know, a monetary reward yes. to that. But bear in mind yeah. that it's not just a monetary reward that's beneficial to these farms. Many of these changes they can make at an individual farm or croft level to manage their natural capital, to manage their habitats better, and will have a, 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 a beneficial impact on that farm, that croft, and its wider sustainable or its longer term sustainability. So I um, would argue strongly that to many farmers and crofters, if not all farmers and crofters, don't wait until there's a clear monetary value, a monetary value in doing something, because actually in the vast majority of cases, doing something now will still be of benefit to your farming system, the sustainability of that system in the long term. And it's, that's, it's, it's if a monetary um, um, a value is then attached to it, that's an added bonus, that's added value, but there's still a lot of um, 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 worth and value in doing something different um, and with parts of your farm now, if it's recreating some habitats or, or doing something different to re-establish um, um, a more appropriate management on, on, on parts of existing um, um, habitats or natural capital um, on your farm. Such a lot to talk about and think about there. And so if we can sort of maybe summarise what what you think, and you've already alluded to some of this, but I think it's worth really just sort of confirming what we think should be the next steps for farmers, for landowners, in order that for them to 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 appreciate, measure, understand um, what their natural capital assets are and 
you know, the, the sort of direction of travel um, for the future. So, you know, what's the sort of next steps? Yeah, so um, I would certainly suggest and, and, and do suggest um, take stock of what you currently have and take advantage of any public funding that will allow you to, to, to get a better understanding of what you actually have in the farm. But, but take stock of what you currently have and then think carefully about what you would like to be producing, both agriculturally and from a public good perspective, into the future. Assess how that then fits with what your current agricultural practices are and can that be achieved with with without any changes can that be achieved with some slight tweaks can that be achieved with some um and some more major changes on your farm it's, it, it comes down to sort of um and putting that putting your individual farm and, and your aspirations in, in context and then it's a case of and then it's a case of um as we discussed um, a wee while ago it comes down to an individual's choice if they think that making those changes to their farm is going to be so valuable to the sustainability of the farming system, then there may be a case to justify them considering, if they can, self-funding that, doing it without the need for any any other recognition or reward at this point in time. And, and, and in many cases, there are many small things that could be done on, on any farm or croft that no, no, even though they're small, and even though they might not actually um, cost that farmer or crofter very much at all, um, those small things could make a difference just in terms of the in, in terms of the condition of any existing habitat that they actually have. But if it is then an aspiration to to be be producing more um, into the future, and that means more major changes. Um, um, and at, at the farm across scale, then that's a case of well investigating what other funding sources may currently be available to allow, um, if not it to happen overnight, but at least to move somewhat in that sort of direction. So, I mentioned earlier in the in in, in the interview, you know, the possibility to to do integrated land management planning on your on your farm to get a much more detailed biodiversity um, assessment of your farm and get support to actually do that. Um, at the minute, or historically, I would have been saying that agri-environment and climate change, from a biodiversity point of view, would have been um, um, an option. Um, we have got an agri at the time of recording. We have got an agri-environment scheme open in Scotland. It's not as broad as it has been historically, so individuals would need to look carefully at that and see whether anything in it um, fits with their aspirations for their farm, but that's open at least for the next few months. Um, um, and and the other um, big opportunity at the moment is uh, there's a big focus on wood, new new woodland creation and, and, and management of existing woodland and grants and support available for that. Uh, and that doesn't mean, unless an individual wants to do it, that doesn't mean taking all of a farm or all of a croft and changing your farming system so markedly that you're planting it with trees and there's no agricultural production. Um, um, we believe very strongly that um, in, in any farm or croft uh, anywhere in, the, in, in Scotland, it's feasible to integrate more trees, more small areas of woodland, and even larger areas of woodland if you so desire. But they can still be integrated in a way that 
um, doesn't impact adversely on the farming system and in fact might ultimately um, um, be beneficial to the farming system if it's if you're a livestock farm and it's producing helping to produce more um, shade and shelter and um, for animals going forward so yeah it's little things can make a difference but choosing assessing what you've got seeing and deciding where you want to go and then working out how you actually um, make that happen in practice. Do you just roll up your sleeves and go out the door and, and do it um, and because you, you see the value of it and it's small enough that you can tackle it yourself or do you need to seek some specialist advice and some additional support for that? All of those along that gradient, everything is potentially feasible and the good thing about here in Scotland is we, there are um, a range of different um, 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 advisory sources that and, and funding sources that could allow you to at least get part way to where you might want to be. Brilliant. No, thank you for that. Some really clear steps there and, and such an informative session, Davy. I have to thank you for your time uh, today. There's so much potential to explore and, and personally, I feel so many opportunities as well. It's really been a pleasure to to listen to you today and have you with us. One thing that chimed with me that you said um, is that for a land manager to step back and look at their land, look at their natural assets from an objective point of view, dare I say it, from a future customer's point of view. And I think that's so, so important because when you're in, a, in an environment day in, day out, you just don't see it the same way other people see it. So that's a, a great tip and fits nicely with those steps you outlined earlier. Uh, so thank you very much, Davey, and thank you everyone else for listening to this episode of the Farm Advisory Service podcast. We will be developing some videos. We will be hosting some future meetings to continue the exploration of the opportunities related to biodiversity, natural asset development and enhancement. So keep a lookout for these future episodes. If you have any questions regarding biodiversity and natural capital, or anything else you've heard about today, you can contact us at 0300 323 or email the helpline advice at fas.scot. Thank you once again to Davey, our speaker today. It's been an absolute pleasure and so informative. And thank you to everyone for listening. Yeah, thanks, Davey. No worries, you're more than welcome.